are in our series and we're concluding it today. We've been talking about the five E's, which are the purpose statement of our church. Many of you are familiar with the statement that we use, building friendships, finding God. That is derived from our five E's. And over the last several weeks, you have gotten to hear all of the staff except for me. Some of you were afraid that I wasn't going to ever preach again. And some of you were really excited. But uh, I'll tell you. Haven't, haven't the staff done an awesome job these last four weeks presenting those E's to us? Amen? We started off week one. Uh, the first E was exalt. And we, were gonna, we talked about how that we as a church are going to exalt Christ in everything we do. And that was worship. And that was Pastor Neil did a fantastic job. And then Pastor Kyle came back and, and talked to us. Oh, the, the week after he talked about evangelizing the lost with the message of Christ, that's evangelism. And then uh, Brian came and spoke to us about equipping believers to discover and use their God-given gifts. That was ministry. Then last week, Pastor Randy came and talked about educating believers to follow Christ. That was discipleship. And today I'm going to talk about encouraging godly relationships through our daily lives. That's fellowship. And so you take those five E's, you're going to have worship, fellowship, discipleship, ministry, and evangelism. And that is what the church should be doing. And so far, each of these last four weeks, you have been challenged in, in one of those areas, in every one of those areas. And we have challenged you not just so you would understand why we develop those E's, but we want you to understand this is what we are doing. These, these five E's are what we gauge every ministry and every function of the church by. If someone comes to us and they say, we want to start something, we look at that very carefully to decide whether or not it fits within the framework of those five E's. Is it somehow going to be able to be boiled down to finding, building friendships and finding God? And more importantly is the finding God. We're building the friendships to find God. But we're not going to do ministry around here that is not some way going to create relationships that cause people to find God. And so I am tasked today and, and excited to be so to talk to you about the last one, which is fellowship. And I have a feeling just as every week uh, we have kind of been shocked, we're going to be again today. Every week we have found out that the E meant a little bit different or a little bit more than what we thought it meant. I was, you know, every one of these weeks have been so great, but I will point specifically back to last week because it was the one that was the closest to this one. And to say, Pastor Randy, I'll tell you something, he, he challenged us. I was, you know, at the end of the day last Sunday, I, I came back to the venue Sunday night because I wanted to hear the testimonies from the ones that had just gotten back from Honduras. Pastor Kyle got up, gave a devotion. And when he finished, it was like part two of that Sunday morning. And I, I left out of here and I told God on the way home, I was like, God, I'm convicted. I don't know if I'm going to keep going to that church or not. I'll just They convict me being around those people. I need to go find me a group of half-steppers somewhere that don't give a rip. And man, I left out of here, and I was just, you know, I was just, I was just challenged because Pastor Randy said that, that in, when it comes to true discipleship, it's going to demand a whole lot more than a little prayer and a recitation. He talked like it was going to demand a wholehearted commitment. And then Pastor Kyle said, and, and he said, let's take it a step further. Let's get out of the boxes that we're trying so hard to get in. And he wasn't talking about the box of church. He was talking about personal lives, how we spend our lives trying to put ourselves 
within walls to protect ourselves from the world and from things outside of it. He challenged us with how many friends do we have that are unbelievers? How many friends do we have that are unbelievers? Most of us are doing everything we can to shelter ourselves from the world. And I just was convicted. I was like, man, this is, this is really going to, this is a challenge. Well, then guess what? I start studying for today. And it is too. I already knew when I said I started studying because we developed these E's a long, long time ago and I knew what they meant. But I was given the opportunity to go back and refresh on, on uh, the fellowship and the definition of fellowship. That the actual word fellowship, and I'll get to it in a minute. I don't want to mess them up with their notes up there. But just to kind of give you an idea, the word fellowship is, is actually a Greek word that, is, that we would pronounce in English because we are not Greek. We would pronounce that as koinonia, koinonia. And we're going to talk about what that means. What is fellowship? What, what is fellowship? Is fellowship friendship? Is that what fellowship means? Does fellowship uh, mean that you are a part of a group or a club or, or a specific, maybe even a clique of people that, and there's, you know, we use the word clique and it's, we use it in such a negative thing, but it's really not. I mean, a clique is simply, a clique is the group of people that you're most familiar and comfortable being around. There's nothing wrong with having friends that you like to hang around with. And sometimes you even guard that time because, uh, you know, some, some cliques don't let anybody in. Well, that's when it's a problem. But, but you know, some, some cliques are just a group of people, which is really what now in our terminology we call a small group. You know, it's a much more politically correct way to, to say what the cliques in our churches are. They are small groups. They are groups of people that get together that like each other and they like to hang around together and they like to eat together and they like to pray together and they like to study together. And so we call that a small group. And, and, and that's a good thing. Small groups are great. In fact, for the church to get bigger, it must get, it must get smaller. In fact, for the church to grow larger, it has to get, we have to break down into smaller groups. There's nothing wrong with these groups forming. We want that and we encourage that. But we want them to be inclusive of anyone that wants to be a part. We don't ever want to exclude someone. We always want to be open and we always want to be looking for someone to include in that. But is fellowship friendship? Is fellowship fun? Is fellowship food? Because most churches, that's what they have in their mind when they talk about fellowship. They said, I want to go to a church that has good fellowship. Basically, they're saying, I want to go to a church where they have a lot of fun and they eat and they hang around and they visit. And that's what they call fellowship. But that is not New Testament fellowship. Friendship's a good thing. Hanging around's a good thing. Connecting with one another's a good thing. Forming relationships with one another, that is a good thing. Praying with each other, bearing each other's burdens, all those things are to happen. But what is New Testament fellowship? Why did we name our church Trinity Fellowship? Have you ever thought about that? You think it was because somebody was sitting around one day and they thought, you know, Trinity Fellowship sounds like a cool name. Why don't we just name it that? I want y'all to understand there was a whole lot more thought went into who we are and what we're doing than just a group of meetings where guys got together and said, hey, let's throw out some names out there. And somebody said, Trinity Fellowship. And everybody said, that sounds like a good one. Trinity Fellowship means something. Trinity is what? The Godhead, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. This is a place where the Trinity is recognized and worshipped. Fellowship. What is fellowship? We're going to be talking about that. Trinity fellowship. In at least 12 places in the New Testament, you find this word koinonia being used. And every time, it has the exact same meaning. 
The word means partnership, participation, communion, contribution, distribution. But not in any place, in all the places I studied, I never found the definition for fellowship to be friendship. That's shocking, isn't it? I never found fellowship being defined as dinner buddies. It's not there. Koinonia, the word, koinonia is a, is a much deeper, stronger, forceful word than buddy. Everywhere that I found the word as I studied these and I walked through the New Testament looking up and, and studying koinonia throughout the New Testament, everywhere I saw the word, it was demanding commitment and dedication and participation by everyone who identified themselves by it. Which means, hang on, you can't just attend a church once a month and give in the offering every so often and be in fellowship with God's church. Fellowship requires an all-in determination. So the definition for the word Trinity Fellowship is this. Trinity Fellowship says we are a place where God in the Trinity is worshipped by people who are bonded to him and each other by true koinonia. That's Trinity Fellowship. That's what we're after. So the definition then means, now hang on with me. The definition means you don't have to be best friends with everybody in this church in order to be in fellowship with them. It does mean you have to die to yourself in order to be in fellowship with the other people in this room. In order to be in fellowship with God. True fellowship is recognizable when, when you see among people true community and companionship and camaraderie. The real church is a company of equals. They're all loving God. They're all loving one another to the point of sacrifice, whatever that requires. Now, you can understand something about that. Loving each other to the point of sacrifice can mean you don't even know each other. How? True fellowship says that if someone is your brother and sister, you might never even meet them. You might never even know them. But if you ever find out that they need something, you'll be there for them. That's real fellowship. You say, that didn't make sense. That's not the kind of thing I want to be a part of. Well, we want to be something obviously more than that. We want to create those relationships and friendships and bonds and all of that. There's nothing wrong with those things. But I'm talking about fellowship now. True fellowship is a partnership and it is a participation of people who come together deeply committed to say we are going to bear the burdens of our other brothers and sisters even if we don't know them. I'm reminded of the story in the New Testament where Paul was going from church to church to collect an offering. What do you think the offering appeal was in those churches? Did they get up and say, we're taking an offering today for brother so-and-so who's sitting right here that we all know and love? No, it was. We're taking an offering this morning for a group of people in another city that none of us will ever meet. 
We don't know them. We don't even know if we have anything in common with them except for the fact that we both love the same Lord Jesus. But they're our brothers and sisters and they're being persecuted and they're suffering and we're supposed to care and we're supposed to bear one another's burdens and we're going to give our money and our time to help them. That's true fellowship. Hmm. Acts chapter 2, verse 42. Look at that with me. The scripture there talks about what fellowship is. I want to point out a couple things. These won't be on the screen, but I just want you to, I want you to catch these as we're moving through here. The disciples were, first of all, devoted to something. It didn't say the disciples got together on Easter and Christmas. And they had dinner together and they opened presents. Didn't say that. It said the disciples of Jesus were devoted to the teachings of the apostles, which were the teachings of the word. They were devoted to fellowship, which was the communion, the fellowship, the partnership, the participation with one another. They were devoted to the breaking of bread, communion. They were devoted to prayer. So first of all, they're devoted A feeling of fear, respect came over everyone as many amazing things and miraculous signs happened through the apostles. Why? Because the disciples were devoted. God was moving because the disciples, the church was devoted to teaching. They were devoted to the word. They were devoted to bearing one another's burdens. They were devoted to communion. They were devoted to prayer. And so revival broke out. Miracles and signs began to happen. Notice the second thing that that happens here. Besides devotion in verse 44. And all the believers kept meeting together. They're committed. They kept meeting together. Does that say they were all, they all, and all these folks kept going to Fun City together every week so they could eat and play games. Didn't say that. We're talking about fellowship. Fellowship's a whole lot deeper than folks that get together every once in a while and go to dinner. That's good, but it's not enough. They're committed to meeting together. What's that mean? One of them said, well, I'm not going to be there this Sunday. think we're going fishing. Not on vacation. We're just going fishing. Won't be at church this Sunday. We've got some family coming in, and we certainly don't want to bring them to church or make them feel uncomfortable while we go. The early church is committed They're committed to meeting together because they understood how vitally important it was, not just for them. See, in our culture, in our generation, it is, I will go to church if it's convenient, if I need something, if I feel like it. But we never take into consideration that you coming to church is not so much about you being what you need. It's the fact that we needed you to be here. You needed to be here for us. If you're not here, we miss you. You say, oh, nobody misses me. They don't even know if I'm not here. Yes, somebody does. And I'll tell you something. If nobody misses you, then you're not committed to fellowship. If you could come to church week after week and make a statement that nobody cares if I'm there or not, and they won't miss me, then what you're basically saying before you whine too much about nobody caring is you're basically saying, I'm a half-stepper and a slacker, and I don't go enough for anybody to even know if I'm not there. And I don't give anything, and I don't do anything, so nobody cares. Woo! I had, a, I had a fellow tell me the other day, I went to a chiropractor and I was sharing something with him. And he said, Pastor, he said, that's true, but you can't say some of those things to people. I was like, well, I do it every week. 
He said, that church must really like you down there. They've kept, I said, well, I said, I think they really like Deb. All I know to do is tell you the truth. Be, think about the next time before you go out of here and you say, I don't even know if I'm going back. Nobody even knows that I'm out there. Don't tell anybody that because you're admitting something you don't want to admit. When you tell people, I'm not going, nobody even cares, nobody even knows. When you say that, that means you're not doing your part of fellowship or they couldn't say that about you. If you're truly in fellowship with God and the church, when you're not here, we miss you. We'll need you and we'll notice you because you're bringing something to the table. It's good, isn't it? It's not fun, but it's good. So look at this. They're devoted and they're committed. And what else? Verse 44, and they shared everything with each other. That doesn't mean they were communists. That does not mean... I've heard some people try to tell that. Church is supposed to, everybody's supposed to sell everything and move to a commune and have everything. That does not mean that. There were people in that church that were capitalists. There were people in that church that were making money and they were good at it. There's nothing wrong with being able to make some money and that way you have some to give. Amen? Somebody say amen. Nothing wrong with making money if you're honest about it. Some people have a gift for it. God gave them the gift to be able to make money. So that they can finance his kingdom. These people were generous though. Look at it 44. They shared everything with each other. What that means is. Not everybody sold everything to get to be a part of the church. They didn't sell everything and come together and live in a house. And hold hands and light candles and wear white robes. They lived their daily lives. In their going they were making disciples. They were living their lives. They were working their jobs. But. When they came together for fellowship, when they came together for church, and somebody said, Brother so-and-so over here on the other side of town, his house burnt down last night, and two of his kids are, are ill, and they're sick, and they don't, we don't have hospitals, and we don't have medication. And we, you know, Then the church would say, somebody would say, well, you know what? I just sold something over here, and I have a little bit of extra money, and I want to give to help them. That's what's going on. It doesn't say that they all sold everything. It said they sold as needed. Every once in a while. Look at it. Verse 45. Explain it. From time to time. From time to time they sold their property and other possessions and distributed the money to anybody who needed it. From time to time. When a need arose. When, they, when somebody got and said, we got a need. And people said, yeah, we do have a need. And somebody said, we don't even know them. They said, it don't matter. It's our brothers and sisters. True fellowship says we need to take care of them. So from time to time they sold their possessions. They didn't do it all the time. But they're generous. Verse 46 said they had a single purpose. The believers had a single purpose means they're focused. And they went to the temple every day. And some people are like, oh my Lord, I don't even want to go once a month. What's wrong with these religious fanatics that want to go to church every day? Tell you folks, we live in a generation of society. We can't even have a revival anymore. Somebody say amen. We talk about having a revival. It's going to go from Sunday to Wednesday. People are like, oh, I'm not going to. I'll go Sunday morning. That's it. I mean, that's it. I, I hear the guy Sunday morning. You know, that's it. They went to the temple every day. Mm. They're focused. They were joyful and humble as they ate at each other's homes and shared their food. They were thoughtful of one another. 
Have you ever went to somebody's house you didn't want to go to and shared their food? You know why you do it? Because not everybody likes everybody. Come on, just be honest. There's some of y'all sitting way over here because you don't like somebody over there. You love them. You got to love them. But I'm going to tell you, when you put a big old group of people together, you have all these different personalities and different likes, and it's just the way it is. And, and preachers can get up and tell you, you're supposed to love everybody, and you should. You've got to love everybody. But when they get up and say, you've got to like everybody, it's just impossible. Only God can like everybody because he's a mix of all that. And, and all the rest of us have got these mixtures, and we just naturally, birds of feathers flock together. It just happens. But sometimes, you know, true fellowship says you've got to step out of your like. And you got to do things you don't want to do. Years, years, years ago, I'm talking probably what it had been, 25 years ago maybe. Young couple invited Deb and I to their house when we were in Bible college. It was a sweet couple, nice couple. Good folk, but I'm going to tell you all something. Not everybody lives the same. Not everybody in here lives the same. Some folks just nasty. I don't want to eat at your house. Somebody get with me on that. Some of y'all nasty say, I'll eat, it. I'll eat anything nasty at anybody's house. I don't care because I'm nasty. But other folks are like, I don't want to go to somebody's house. I'm going to tell you, these were good people. They invite us over to their house. We're sitting around visiting. And Deb comes into me and she leans over because you know how kind she is. She leans over. She says, real quietly, so nobody hears. She, she smiles at me and she says, don't eat the bread. And then... I'm like, I, I, I'm trying to process this. And, and she looked at the bread and she's kind of. So I put the fork in the spaghetti and I kind of look at her and she's like, go with that. So I'm good with the spaghetti. But the bread. Can't always break bread with folk when they got cockroaches climbing around on the bread in the kitchen. But I'm going to tell you something. True fellowship says that you love people and you do things sometimes that you don't like. You may not get along with those folk. You may not want to hang around with those people, but you do. You don't have to all the time. I think it's kind of like the giving. It's from time to time. From time to time. So-and-so invites you over and you got to go. This is what's going on in this passage of Scripture. They ate at each other's homes and they shared their food. And at the same time, they praised God and had the goodwill of all the people. They're not talking just about the church, but the world saw this example of true fellowship and love. And they said, wow, wow. Oh, Marty's willing to go over and eat at the pastor's house and he knows it's nasty and he's still willing to go over and do it. Wow, Marty's something special. Huh? They see what's going on among the church and they, they praised God and had the goodwill of all the people. So they were noticed by the world. And every day the Lord saved people and they were added to the group because the group was functioning properly. It wasn't that the group was all best friends. 
It was that the group was in true fellowship. And the world looked in and said, hey, they'll let us in. They'll include us. They'll let us be a part. We can be a part of this family that they've got going. That's true fellowship. Fellowship says even if you're not friends, you're brothers. And we're going to share in each other's pain and joy in the good and the bad because we're a real family. We are, in fact, a company of equals. That's fellowship. And in order to be a part of fellowship, you have to contribute. You can't just be a part when it's convenient for you. You've either got to be in or out. I liked what Pastor Randy talked about last week. How that we cannot be a part of the family of God if we refuse to be a true disciple. It's the same thing with fellowship. You, you, can't just, you can't just pick and choose the parts of fellowship. You can't just come every so often and give nothing, invest nothing, and sacrifice nothing, and think that you're in real fellowship. Because real fellowship is expensive. It just is. Just like serving Jesus will cost you your own life. That's why a lot of people don't really want to get saved. They want to go to heaven, but they don't really want to get saved. Because when you say to them, true commitment requires you to give up your life and let Jesus live through you. You are not your own, bought with a price. Recognize that. Invite Jesus to come into your heart. Now he is in you and you are his. And people don't want to hear that. They want to hear, I'll get saved and live like I want, do what I want, pray for him to bless me, and then I get to go to heaven. No, it is what Pastor Randy said last week. A true disciple is a slave, and a slave doesn't tell the owner what to do. The owner tells the slave what to do. And true fellowship is the same kind of a commitment. It's expensive. It'll cost you your time and your resources and your abilities. You cannot be in fellowship long distance. That's good, isn't it? That's not how the family of God operates. you got to sell out and be committed to fellowship if you expect to receive anything from it. So I was studying these passages, and I, I'm learning about koinonia, and that it's partnership and participation and, and communion and sharing and interaction and, and, and then benefit. But as I was looking at those words that I just, that I just shared you there, it, it looked to me a lot more giving in those verbs than receiving. Look at those. In five of them I give to receive in one. Koinonia, partner, participate, commune, share, interact, and then benefit. I give in five to receive one. It's only fair. Benefit is not the first, it's the last. So now you understand the Acts account of the early church. They, they have all things in life in common. They're, they're facing the same hardships and the same trials and the same heartaches, but they're sharing in those two. They're not just calling on the church when they get in a bind. But they're all part all the time so, so that when life is good for them, they can help somebody whose life's falling apart. When life is bad for them, somebody will help them. That's the problem I have with some people that only attend church when they're in a bind. They only go to church when they have a need. That's selfish Christianity. That's selfish fellowship. When you only come when you need something from God, that's not right. You should be here when things are great so that you can help somebody else who's struggling today. Mm. It's not right to just do your own thing and expect the, the church to rally up when you need them if you're not going to be faithful in the good times. So fellowship is not just lunch together every once in a while. Fellowship is doing life together. Do the good and the bad. You have to be available. How important is it? Let me give these to you. They'll be up here. You can write these down. Six reasons why fellowship is so crucial. Let me give these to you real quick. Number one, 
Because God is faithful to it. 1 Corinthians 1 and 9. Because the disciples, number two, embraced it. Galatians 2, 9. Because the early church operated by it. 2 Corinthians 8 and 4. Because the world can't achieve it or understand it. Ephesians 3 and 9. Because all believers must commit to it. Acts 2, 42, 1 John 1, 6. And because you must sell out to it individually. Philippians 3 and 10. Anybody know what John 3.16 means? Anybody know what that passage is? Isn't that the one that they hold up at the baseball games? That says, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. Isn't that the one? What's 1 John? Same passage say. That one takes it to another level. I believe it's the one to paraphrase that says something like, Because the first one says, for God so loved that he gave Jesus. The second one says, Jesus so loved that he laid down his life. And that we ought to lay down our lives like he did. They don't hold that one up at the baseball game. You don't see that one in the outfield on the ESPN cameras, do you? And look at this Philippians 3.10. This one's so strong, I'm going to read it to you. Oh, here it comes, that I may know him, Paul said. This is Paul, Paul in the Philippian jail. Paul in sewage up to his waist. Paul having rats crawl around eating the other dead prisoners around him, trying to eat him alive. Paul, who is in the darkness most of the hours of the day, only long enough every once in a while because he's a Roman citizen, do they open up the top hole and lower him down a piece of paper and a pencil and light enough for him to scribble down a few things that we now call Pauline epistles and letters. Paul writing in this condition, saying that I may know him and the power of his resurrection, oh, it comes, and the fellowship of his sufferings being made conformable To his death. Now let me tell you what that looks like. In the New Testament church. In 2014. You're not mad yet are you? Is anybody mad? Don't wave. We don't want to know who you are. Let me tell you what that means. We pray. The first part. That I may know him in the power of his resurrection. And preachers that preach on that one. They get shouted down. And folks wave hankies. Even in our culture. They still do it. Knowing the power of the resurrection. We're going to talk about it over the next couple of weeks because Easter's coming. We love the power of the resurrection. We're fired up about it because it means that we're saved and we're healed. It means that we're all going to be able to be resurrected to go with Jesus at the end of time. We're fired up about it because we're going to the marriage supper of the Lamb, the thousand-year millennial reign, and, and we're going to the new heavens and the new earth. I mean, we're fired up about the power of the resurrection because of the power of the resurrection, all these good things can happen. So we pray, oh God. I want to know the power of your resurrection. Oh, God, let me operate in the power. Preaching now. You wished I'd have preached these last four weeks so I wouldn't have so much to put in here all at once. That I would know him in the power of his resurrection. Oh, God, that's healing and deliverance and help and blessings and freedom and promises. And Oh, I love the power. So you hear people praying that. Oh, God, send the power. 
Very rarely do you hear a group of people circle up and fervently pray the same way. Oh, God, let us share in the fellowship of your sufferings. Oh, God, let somebody this week get persecuted. Let one of us get beaten. Let one of us lose their job. Oh, God, let somebody in our circle get sick and die. Don't ever hear that one. You might hear them praying that for somebody else's circle. But not in theirs. We're all kind of praying for the resurrection power, but nobody's praying, oh God, like Paul, in the sewage, in the dark, with the rats, in the pen, that I may know him in the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his suffering. The fellowship, what is fellowship? You know, that's getting together and eating dinner and playing bingo and stuff like that. No, it ain't. The fellowship, the partnership, the participation, the investment, the I'm a part of, the I bought into, the I will share of, that I may know him in the power of his resurrection and that I may know him in the fellowship of his suffering, even being made conformable unto his death. You never hear that one. We resist that one at all cost. I mean, pray number one, stay away from number two, and run as hard as you can from number three. Don't nobody want to die. But our brothers and sisters all over this world in persecuted countries are living number three while we're here this morning singing songs and giving in our offering. Our brothers and our sisters are in prison and they're dying. They're being persecuted. They're being abandoned. They're being mistreated. They are literally being killed in front of their families. And we're praying against it. And they're dying with joy. They're, they're receiving a crown of life. They're the ones like Stephen that as they're being crucified and stoned and hung, they're seeing Jesus standing up at the right hand of the Father. Because Jesus don't get up for much. He sits and makes intercession. But every so often he stands. These are the ones that are seeing that and receiving that crown of life. They'll have some day to throw at his feet. Yet we're spending all of our time praying against it. Oh God, don't let, don't let nothing happen to me. Don't let nothing happen to none of my family. And, and it's truthful. We, get, we can't help but pray that prayer. I tell God all the time, I say, God, I'm struggling. I have a really hard time. I said something about that several weeks ago. Have a really hard time praying that prayer. It is only natural for me to pray that God will bless my family and my, and my friends and keep us and protect us and bless us. But that's the prayer that we pray. God, I want to be blessed. I want to be happy. I want to be rich. I want to be successful. I don't ever want to be sick. I don't ever want to hurt. So in essence, I am not praying to be like Jesus. But that's the end of our prayer. Make me more like Jesus. But don't ever let me get sick and don't ever let me get hurt and don't ever let me get broke. But let me be like Jesus. And God's saying, which do you want? You want to be like Jesus and Paul and old Pete hanging upside down on the cross? Or do you want to be you? Mm. We're in it this morning. We're praying against these things. See, understand something, folks. Fellowship is not a cute, fun, fuzzy word that we use to make us feel good. Fellowship is a strong, hard word. 
that you have to commit to if you want to be a part of the family of God. It demands that we grow up and become mature disciples instead of like so many people that are spoiled babies. It, it, it demands that we grow up and accept the responsibility of being a joint heir with Christ. How many of y'all know the scripture says that someday we will rule and reign with Christ? Did you know that? Now stop and think about that for a minute. I'm going to make you think. Stop and think about that. Who receives the most responsibility? The people that have earned it. So if you have just half-stepped all through your life and skipped along through Sunday school and went to church at Easter and Christmas and went down there every once in a while for some benevolence money when you didn't have money to pay your bills because you'd been out drinking the night before, when you've done all those kinds of things, do you think that you're going to be the one that's going to rule and reign with Christ? The scripture said somebody's going to be a joint heir with Jesus. That's not going to happen by people who are uncommitted and undisciplined. Joint heirs. Who's joint heirs? Worthy recipients. Pastor, I can never do enough to be worthy. No, you can't. And it's not all about that. I'm telling you, though. Why would the father want to equate with his son who paid with his life? For our salvation, why would he want to put on the same level of rulership? It won't be the same. Understand that. Jesus will always be God. But joint heirs with Jesus are not going to be people that just happened into a church every so often. That had no commitment or no dedication. So we're being taught that we have to grow up and bear one another's burdens. We have to give until it's truly sacrificial. We have to work until you're truly fatigued. You got to pray until your knees literally hurt. You got to fight the devil until you and he have the scars to prove your battles. That's true koinonia. And all of a sudden, Trinity Fellowship takes on new meaning. It's not the church that gets together and has dinner, Trinity dinner, Trinity fun, Trinity party. It's Trinity fellowship, the place where people participate, the place where people interact, the place where people give and they sacrifice and they work and they hurt and they struggle and they toil and they care and they pray. And they stay in the word and they bear each other's burdens and they show up not because it's about them, because somebody might need them. They show up and they contribute and they give everything they have to give as much ever is needed. That's fellowship. Those who have engaged or accepted that type of koinonia will engage in that lifestyle. And they'll be here for one another. So let me take it back to this now. This is the end. We, the, the fellowship doesn't mean you have to be best friends. Doesn't even mean you have to be part of the same small group. But what it does mean is that you have to be in real fellowship with God and each other if you're going to be a part of the kingdom of God for eternity. True fellowship requires something. Doesn't mean fun, doesn't mean food. It means dedication. Let me conclude by pointing us back now to the last E in our series. Here at Trinity Fellowship, we're striving to Now check out this and see now that you understand this definition. Encourage godly relationships through our daily lives. That's fellowship. 
We are encouraging godly relationships through our daily lives. We're not saying we're encouraging people to, get, to, to form friendships and go eat dinner. Do that, but that's not what we're saying. We're saying we are encouraging people to get involved in godly relationships that partner and care and invest in one another, that give for each other, that sacrifice. That's what we mean by that last E. Encouraging godly relationships through our daily lives. That's fellowship. I, I truly hope, and I, I, I prayed in my office that I wouldn't offend anybody today. I truly pray that I haven't, I, that's not been my goal. I did not want to offend anybody. I, I even asked the Lord to help me to deliver this in such a way that, that, would, that would come across as, as, uh, as kind and fun as it could. I don't know if it, anybody think this has been kind and fun. That, that, I mean, that was my goal. But above all, my intention is that I would be able to communicate the word. I'm more concerned with communicating the word than I am with winning friends and influencing people. I believe that signs are pointing to the end. I believe that things as we know them are about to wrap up. And I think that our messages are going to have to get even harder in order for people to make it. It's not going to be easy to be a joint heir with Christ. It's not easy to be a true disciple of Jesus. If it was, all the people who claim to be would be. But there's only a few that identify with Jesus all the way down the line saying, I like his, I like the power of the resurrection but i'll suffer i'll suffer i'll die if i gotta die when we get to that place then jesus says now you understand fellowship that's the fellowship that we encourage that's the fellowship that's going to require to be a joint heir with jesus that's the commitment it's going to be required i believe to make it to heaven how sad it's going to be for so many people that just take church as a hobby ever so often. How sad it's going to be when they wake up one day on the wrong side of the line at judgment. And they tell the Father, they ain't even going to get to talk to Jesus. He's going to be over there passing out rewards to the ones that are joint heirs. But they stand in front of the Father and they say, well, Father, I mean, I went to church every once in a while. They put a couple of nickels in sometimes. Every once in a while I even went to some of their functions. They'd go out to eat, and I'd even go eat with them sometimes. And he's going to say, that's not fellowship. That's not fellowship. Would you bow your heads and close your eyes? Let's just pray for a minute. Can we just take a moment right there where you're at? Just, what have you learned this morning? Have you learned anything? Has the Spirit prompted anything in your soul? Whatever it is that you feel in the Spirit that God is doing, why don't you just take a moment? In this, just in this quiet time, just take a few moments and listen to the Holy Spirit and respond in kind. What is he saying to you? Are there any changes that need to be made? Are you convicted of anything? Are there any, are there anything, is there anything happening in you that, that would cause you to feel like maybe that you are not in fellowship with Christ? I know that we're saved by grace and faith, I understand that. We're not saved by works. 
But the word always says too that your faith without works is dead. That means that if you really have faith and if you truly are following Christ, you won't be able to help it. The works of God will just exude from you. You'll just do them. So examine your heart right now. Are you in real fellowship? Koinonia. Are you partnering with the church? I'm not talking about... It can be any church. I'm talking about the body of Christ. Are you partnering? Are you participating? Are you investing? Are you working? Are you praying? Are you interacting? If so, then you're also benefiting. But if not, just examine, in light of last week and this week, examine your heart. Do you want to be in right fellowship with God? See, when you're in right fellowship with God, you'll be in right fellowship with His family. It won't just be a thing between you and Him, although that's what will save you. You'll have a right relationship with His body because it's your body. You'll care. If somebody in the family hurts, you'll hurt. If somebody's struggling, you'll struggle. If somebody's broke, you'll want to help. It's true fellowship. I'm not going to give that expected type of altar call. I'm simply going to say that if you're being prompted by the Spirit and you want to pray, the altars are open. You want to pray about anything, however this, however, whatever and however this has ministered to you. There's something that you want to pray about. Don't, don't just go and say, I'll do it later. The altar's open. Anybody that would want to come down right now, just come. I'm not saying you're saved or unsaved or I, I don't, I'm not saying anything. I'm just saying that you feel prompted. You want to come to the altar right now. Come down to around these seats and steps and altars and kneel. And just spend some time. Can we do that? Let's just spend some time with the Lord. Examine in our heart.
the scripture that discipleship is costly. It's not easy. It's not free. Jesus said, if any man would follow me, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. How many of y'all want to get behind Jesus and follow everywhere he went? His, his 30 years, 33. But the good news is, before you get discouraged, it's worth it. Because Jesus so loves us, and our Father so loves us, that He has made a way for us to spend eternity with Him. Whatever we go through here, whatever we sacrifice here, whatever we think we're giving up here, one second in, one second in to eternity, and you're not going to even give a rip. You won't even remember it. Any hardship, any suffering, any pain, any tragedy, you won't even remember it one second in. It's so good where we're headed get going again but I, I keep finding myself in my car as I'm driving I get to thinking about the marriage supper of the lamb and I start smiling you can't tell by looking at me but I like the idea of a marriage supper I, th I start thinking about the thousand year millennial reign I keep telling Deb about it I'm so excited about the thousand year millennial reign we're going to rule and reign with Christ on the earth and then I get to thinking about the new heavens and the new earth and the new earth and where we're going to be. and what. I just get so excited. About it. And, all, and all this just pales so in comparison for Jesus to demand of us to take up our cross and for him to demand of us that we would be in true fellowship with him and each other. It's such a small price to pay to enjoy what we're going to one of these days. He loves us. He loves us. Don't get discouraged. Don't think we're beating up on you. But just like what we've learned all those years ago in the gym, there's no pain, no gain. We want to get better. Do we want to get better? We want to get better. How terrible it would be to go through all of this and then someday wake up in the wrong place. We want to get better. We want to, we want to get better. We want to have a, a mind of Christ heart after God love for our brothers and sisters it's all going to be worth it well I appreciate you I love all of you God bless you